Today, this podcast is being recorded on Gadigal land. We pay our respect to the traditional custodians of this country and elders past, present. We extend our respect to any First Nations, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people joining us today. This is Trady Lady Talk and I'm your host, Landscaper Stacey. We are starting off 2024 with a really exciting series in the lead up to the EWIT Gala Awards Night, which is a huge event celebrating women in trade. I'll be speaking with the incredible award nominees for this year so you can get to know their stories as tradie ladies. Okay, guys, well, welcome back to episode two of our series on nominees for the Empowering Women in Trade Gala Awards coming up at the end of the month in Melbourne. Today's guest we have on is Ashley Beebe, who is nominated in the category of Exceptional Human Skills, which is presented by City Power and Power Ashley is a qualified heavy vehicle diesel mechanic and now she works with Vet Pathways and is out there doing amazing things for creating national apprenticeship programs and really being an advocate for getting women into the trade industry. Ashley, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Stacey. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm so excited to speak to you because you're doing some really, really amazing work out there, work that I don't think many people really come across when they think of women in trade. So I guess we'll just start with how how did you start getting into trade and to where you are now? So the heavy vehicle industry actually found me by accident. Um, I didn't make the choice to become a mechanic by accident, but as a work ex- well, during work experience in year 10, a local employer came to my high school offering um, a heavy vehicle kind of placement. And at the time, I had some vague notion that I'd be working on cars. Um, yeah. I wasn't interested in cars. I had no awareness of the automotive or transport industries, and I had no mechanics in the family. But I'd grown up in family business where my dad had supported me to kind of learn how to work with my hands and not just my brain. And so that gave me enough confidence to be curious and sign up. Um, And then, of course, I found out I was going to be working on trucks, which just seemed a little bit too far outside of what I could imagine, and I didn't want to go anymore. Um, But my parents were great because they sat me down. They said, look, you've got nothing to lose. You might as well take this opportunity with both hands and just run with it. And so I did, and I went to my week of work experience, and I didn't know the difference between a shifter or a spanner, yet I spent the week rebuilding an engine with a mechanic and his apprentice, and it was like I found a whole new world. They just taught me so much. I learned the difference between a shifter and a spanner, and then a heap of, like, names of parts like Conrad and Piston, and, yeah, from there it was just I was interested and I just stuck with it for so long, and, you know, I've been in the industry for over seven years now, and it was still one of the best decisions I've ever made. Fantastic. So it's just a big confidence thing, really. Like once you got into it, you just ran with it. Yeah. So I, after I kind of spent that first week and I guess like my curiosity was properly sparked and I wanted to keep learning more, 
um, my parents supported me to do more work experience over high school. So I ultimately took my career for a test drive. I did about six weeks over three years. So even though, you know, I was really interested in my academic studies and I continued with my final school exams, it was really, really clear to me because I'd done so much work experience that, that I was pursuing the pathway that was like most in line in alignment with myself. And that's really interesting because for me, when I was in high school and we were looking at doing work experience, I was actually interested in a lot of trade. I wanted to do work experience with a fencer and I wanted to do work experience with a lot of tradespeople because I'd been doing a lot of horse riding. So I was a show jumping rider and I was used to being outside using my hands and it just made sense to me. But when I went to my careers advisor, and said that that's what I wanted to do for work experience, they almost blocked me from it and said, well, why don't you go and work for one of the solicitors or something as a as a clerk and see if you like doing that, that might interest you. And I was really discouraged away from even doing work experience as a trade. So how did you find that when you were in school? Was there resistance or did you just say, no, like this is what I'm doing? Um, I don't think I experienced much resistance just because I was fortunate that with having my parents in my corner and then my career advisor was quite open-minded that um, pretty much once I figured out that it was what I wanted to do and I was passionate, there was very little resistance. And then I didn't go looking for any more feedback from anyone else. So I was able to kind of buffer myself from a lot of the, the feedback that I heard after I'd achieved um, in the top 5% of the state for my year 12 exams. And then all my teachers found out I was becoming a tradie. Like I just missed it all. Um, So I didn't really have to fight for it, which I was really lucky for. But I think, um, especially like to your journey, I've heard that story from so many people. Um, And even now when I go and speak in schools as an advocate for vet pathways, which which includes apprenticeships alongside other kind of vet courses. Um, the most common thing I get from young people, regardless of gender, is my parents won't support me. Um, they think I should pursue university. And it's unfortunately a stereotype around, I guess, the amount of success we can have in either pathway, you know, university versus vet, that is actually holding people back from just pursuing careers where they can thrive because they're genuinely interested in those careers. Um, yeah. So yeah, but I was very lucky that, yeah, I had a support network that just allowed me to do what, what was right for me um, and there wasn't too many obstacles to overcome there. And I mean, look at where it's got you. You've, you've moved into now a, a different role, so you're off the tools. Did you want to have a little bit of chat about what it is that you're doing now um, with the work that you're doing? Yeah, so um, I always knew that there'd be a day where I'd want to step off the tools, though I probably didn't expect it so early in my career. And that's just because um, in the heavy vehicle industry or even in just being a diesel mechanic, like there is a toll on the body and I knew there'd be a certain point where I'd be prepared to step back or like dial back on, on how intense that work can sometimes be. Um, But so when I had the opportunity to join a business as their apprentice pathway lead, um, even though it was kind of ahead of my own schedule, I was like, this is an opportunity I can't pass up because for all the advocating I'd done, 
um, this was the first time that I guess I really had an opportunity to lean further into it instead of it just being like this extracurricular thing on the side. Um, yeah. And because I've been speaking and advocating for vet pathways and um, especially like my trade for a few years, um, the opportunity to actually be in a business helping them build a national apprentice program to support, you know, helping bring in young people into the trade and set them up for success. Um, obviously, the, the other side of that is it's helping support the fact that so many industries, including my own, are facing a skill shortage. And there's kind of this disconnection between our existing knowledge and our existing tradespeople and then the interest of younger generations. Um, and so I just felt like I manifested this perfect job for me um, that as much as even now, like I do miss the tools because there's so many benefits to working with your hands, both like physically and even for mental health. I've found yeah. that um, this is something that I was passionate enough about to make that step a lot sooner in my career. That's fantastic. And so with the National Apprenticeship Program that you built out with the, the company you're working with, how did you find that for... Was there a big focus on pushing to try and get women into non-traditional trades? Is that Was that a focus of theirs at all? Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's one of those double-edged swords that being a woman and being a minority in these industries that you can't separate that kind of ticking the box on the gender thing from your experience at the moment because it's still such a big gap between where, I guess, many of us individuals and organizations want to be versus where we actually are. Um, so it was very much when they approached me and offered me this job, it was like, we want someone who's going to build the program from the ground up, who's got like that lived experience in this environment. Um, yeah. They were also like the fact that I have a passion for writing and I'm very articulate um, with written document type skills that that was also a win for them. But then, yeah, it was also that, you know, we don't really have many women mechanics in our business, so we can't attract young girls when we can't give them an example of what they will look like within the industry. And so yeah. it's, yeah, it's definitely a layer in building this national apprentice program that there's also that extra ability to pitch and attract the, the young female talent pool as well. Yeah, I think that's such a big thing as well with with pitching and bringing in females into these roles is they they just need to see it we're just not seeing it enough still there's still so many places that you will go for example last year I went to a, a big Bunnings trade expo and I went there with my partner who works in project management but is behind a computer all day he's definitely not on the tool <laughs> and everywhere we went around there there was lots of big pictures with men and women in trades everywhere. And you think, oh, great, they're supporting women in trade. But do you think one person at any stand approached me before they approached him? Every single person. I was in my work clothes as well. <laughs> so I was in my work boots. I had dirt on me. He's wearing a suit. Like I, I just blew my mind that everyone went up to him. Hey, mate, how are you going? What are you looking at today? I was like, and he kept saying, I'm, I'm here with this is, she's the trader <laughs> and they just look at me and just they just still don't take it seriously so it's it's hard because you know we want that representation but 
being bold enough to put yourself out there sometimes is hard because you still aren't taken seriously in the majority of places. Yeah, and it's I feel like it's a big conversation at the moment because it's a it's a combination of, you know, how are we retaining women if we don't give them the culture that supports them. Um, obviously there's that visibility point as well. Like a lot of businesses are really good at making sure they have a, a female tradie in their branding, in their posters, in their collateral. Um, but that's not an accurate kind of representation of how many women are in these places. And yeah. um, it's definitely something that it's like a combination of because we're not in these places yet and the culture doesn't really know what to do with us, I think that becomes a barrier for some men. Like they don't necessarily have bad intentions, but I think there's just this, they're not sure what to do with us either. Um, and I feel like that creates this kind of this tension that makes it a lot harder and makes it seem like they're a lot less approachable or friendly or open to women being in their, their workplaces if they aren't there already in the, the trade capacity. Um, yeah, that so- hesitation, it, it becomes like a bit of a friction point and you think you, you can misread it. Yeah, definitely. And I know I've been very fortunate in my career. Like I've had vastly positive experiences and I was actually having this conversation with someone recently around there's so much visibility on the really big issues when um, like women enter workplaces um, that are non-traditional. Like there's constantly conversations around harassment or discrimination and that's all well and good, but it's also it's also equally misleading because for most of us, we don't necessarily experience those really big ticket challenges. It's usually the smaller ones and the ones that we just kind of tolerate because we don't want to make too many too many waves because we want to yeah. be a part of the crew. We want to be a part of the team and part of that belonging. We just go, oh, this is a bit of a problem, but you know what? I can just take it in my stride, which yeah. is part of the reason I find that so many current tradeswomen, they just have such high resilience because they've overcome so many little challenges because they're passionate about being a tradesperson, even if the industries aren't quite ready for you know a, a big number of women yet whether that's culture whether that's facilities um and just general kind of visibility but it's it's counterintuitive because when we tolerate those small challenges we make it harder for the next woman to come through following our footsteps yeah absolutely so what were you when you were building out the program what were you focusing mostly on were you, did you have was it more macro or micro? Does that make sense? Was it big ticket focuses or was it those little things that you were really looking at? So it's still it's still a work in progress um, and that's just due to having to trial things at a national scale and allow for those kind of regional differences. Um, but it's definitely mostly I feel like those smaller items um so a key part of the program I'm building is very much around how do we foster really great technical skill development so it really addresses that kind of skill piece but then the other things are very much around those soft skills that aren't very common in blue collar environments um you know like something that I find as an apprentice that as soon as you qualify you're then expected to teach the next apprentice but no one ever teaches you how to teach And it's those little things that, you know, 
there are ways that if we can support people in the workplace to mentor and teach better, then they're not only going to improve their own skills and knowledge, but then they'll support apprentices. Um, and then it's just like those basic skills around, you know, how do you have difficult conversations in a helpful, respectful way? And a lot of that comes to people skills. It comes to um, having some self-awareness around your own emotional management and um, just generally supporting people's well-being because when people are well, they are able to show up to work better and they are more resilient. And there's just so many flow-on effects from that that you can't really put into like tangible numbers. And so yeah. it's very much trying to support, okay, the apprentice, the technical side is probably the big ticket thing. But then the rest is very much around how do we just support people to succeed and what are those little skills and tools that they need to, to do that? Yeah. Definitely. And so you've been doing a bit of keynote speaking as well recently. Yeah, so um, it kind of just happened. Um, as an apprentice, because my employer was very pro-woman in industry as well, when I kind of came into their workplace and I had a few opportunities to speak and I just started saying yes to them, I've slowly just ended up speaking in a range of environments um, and that's continued even after leaving that employer and finishing my apprenticeship. So, yeah, over the years, I, I go to speak to schools um, about my pathway and vet pathways and start to maybe just encourage some new thoughts for those people around, you know, a vet pathway isn't lesser and, um, you know, a trade career might be for you even if you're a young girl or a non-binary or you're a smaller, smaller um, guy. So... Yeah, it's just along the way, I guess I've just, my face ends up in a few places and that leads to being invited to speak at other events. And so it's definitely a, um, a completely different skill set to being a tradie, but I get a lot of joy out of contributing to the conversation in a way that supports individuals and then like organisations and communities to, to create the positive change we want to see in the industry. This is so cool. You know, I've really, I've, I've fascinated talking to you because I've had that same perspective of when I was in school, I, I got good grades and, you know, it was that real push, like, you know, you should be going to uni with grades like that. And it took me so long to come back to doing an apprenticeship, completing that and to getting into a role that I really liked doing because I was following people's expectations. So to see that you've completed your trade, you you got great grades in school, you've completed your trade, you love that work, but you've also found a pathway through trade back into putting yourself out on stages in front of hundreds, probably even thousands of people and you're getting to speak to people about something that you are truly passionate about, which is really remarkable because I think a lot of people just assume tradespeople are always on site, always on the tools, and that's it. That's the end line. There's no more. And that's why they're not pursuing trade careers. They're thinking that, you know, it, it just ends at that. But you, you're a great example of what is possible in trade. It's not, it's not a, a one-track road. It's, it can go anywhere you want it to be. Yeah, 100%. And I think, and I don't know where the misconception comes from as well, because even as an apprentice, 
you know, a lot of our workshop supervisors or even some of the higher level, like regional managers, a lot of them started as apprentices and they've just worked their way up a corporate ladder from like a trade pathway. So it's definitely not a one-stop shop. Um, But the thing I find, like the key for success, it's not like this is a career where you'll make the most money and you'll you'll find the most success. That's a, a, a very like misguided kind of idea. Success comes from doing something you enjoy because you're able to invest more energy because you've got more passion and you'll just naturally succeed when you're working like with the tide instead of trying to swim against it. And so I've definitely found in my experience that um, I've always lived true to myself. And so that means that I've been able to live true as a tradie and then I've been able to transition into this role where I'm now supporting the next generation of apprentices. And that's still true for me. Like it doesn't have to be one or the other. It allows me to be my whole self and to live in a way that's just innately fulfilling. And when you kind of live with that kind of energy, you just, you will succeed because it's just, it's just the energy you attract because it's the energy you're putting out into the world. Absolutely. Yeah. I was just saying that in the previous podcast episode as well, you know, like it just builds on itself because the, it, you wake up excited for work, you go to work, you get through the day. Sometimes it doesn't go exactly how you planned, but because you're really enjoying the work you're doing, the next day flows on and it's, yeah, you can just feel it every day. Yeah. And I mean, I remember my worst day as a diesel mechanic or my hardest day. And at the time I was running my own business with one of the guys I went to trade school with. And I'd just misunderstood the workload for a job on a Saturday for a paying customer and everything went wrong. And it took like three times as long as I expected to, to complete all the work. And I think like I, I was at the point of I could have cried through that entire job, but the cost, the customer was there watching and I had to hold <laughs> it together. And I ended up calling my husband cause he had some expo- industry experience. And I called my, um, my taste mate. I was like, I need a chop out because I really messed up here. And yeah. by the time I got home that night, I just, I, I didn't have the energy to cry anymore. I just sat there and I was just like, where did I go wrong? But in yeah. all of that, I never went, oh, maybe I shouldn't be a mechanic. And that's the power of working in an industry or, or working with your strengths or with, I guess, in a way that's truly in line with your interests. Yeah, I love that. So I was, I always finish the podcast with um, a, a message to young people out there that might be looking to get into trade. There might be someone in school right now that like you is just killing it with their grades, but was really wanting to be a tradie despite everyone saying you should be going to uni, you should be getting into a degree course there. What what would you say to those guys out there that are really just wanting to take up a trade against all odds? I'd say the best thing you can do is sign up for work experience because when it comes to figuring out what's true for ourselves and the way we want to work or live in our lives, the best thing we can do is explore because that's the chance to say, yes, this is right for me or no, that's not quite right. And so especially while you're still in school, you have so much opportunity to just go out and try. You've got nothing to lose by signing up to work experience and who knows where it'll take you because really the world is your oyster. Yeah, no, I love that. 
Well, I guess we'll just wrap this up with me saying congratulations on the nomination. So that's a huge achievement getting into this category, which is full of absolute champions that are out there doing incredible things for women in trade and for you to be standing up there with them. I think that's that's a massive achievement. You should be super proud of yourself with that. Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah. Well, um, I, I guess I'll look forward to meeting you um, on the 23rd of February down in Melbourne. I'm all excited. I've got everything ready for the night. So I'm looking forward to coming down there and I think it's going to be a great night. Yeah, it's going to be great to network with so many people, both tradies and non-tradies alike, who are just passionate about this conversation. So yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, to be in a room full of people that are there for the common goal of supporting women in trade. How much better can that be? Not much. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, Ashley. No worries. Thanks so much, Stacey. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm just blown away with how focused and driven Ashley has been to get to where she is right now. To listen to her story for me was so fascinating just to see what's possible for women in trades. And I know she's going to be doing incredible things in the future because she's only just begun and is already making such a big impact. I think she's very much deserving of a nominee for the category of exceptional human skills. If you want to come along to the Gala Awards Night to support these outstanding women, tickets are still available. You just head over to the Empowered Women in Trades website. I'd love to see you there on February 23. Stay tuned to Tradie Lady Talk in the next few weeks because I'm excited to be bringing more guests on who have had the huge achievement of being nominated for an award at the upcoming EWIT Gala Night. These women are doing such great work and I'm proud to be able to showcase them for you all to hear. Have a great week, guys, and until next time, look after each other.